Let me get into the word this morning because I know uh, I want to leave plenty of, uh, of running room for the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week, Pastor Andrew talked about the fact that our lives, our stories, that God's trying to write his story through us and that the enemy's trying to hijack our story. And the number one means that he does it is through shame. And every one of us in this room, if you're breathing this morning, you've dealt with shame. I had a dear woman come up to me, like I said, first service, uh, just broken because of the way her husband just lambasted her over something. It was an accident, um, but basically just told her she was no good and Blah, 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 blah. Um, how many, you know, those moments, especially if you're living in a toxic environment or if you've been a part of just living and breathing out on planet Earth, you've been the recipient of some of that kind of stuff. Um, that's just the, that's the, that's the environment in which we've been raised. Now, here's the deal. So you're a character in a story, right, that God's trying to write, and there's background music like any great movie. There's background music. What we're trying to get you to listen to is the background music. The background music is the things that you tell yourself that you don't even realize you're telling yourself because it's so familiar. It's a part of who you are. Like how many of you, when you're, when you're introduced to a new opportunity, uh, the first words that pop into your mind is, I can't, I can't. Um, and how many of you know that's not, that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit because the voice of the Holy Spirit is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when you immediately go, I can't, that's coming from a root. That, that thought is coming from a root. And usually it's not the thought that hits us first. It's the emotion that hits us first. In other words, we find ourselves in an emotional swirl and we don't really know what's going on. And I'm encouraging you, like, like here's an example. Say I was disappointed in my wife because I had my expectations for this and then she did this and I was disappointed. So what I'm dealing with is hurt. But the hurt gets expressed in anger. And then the anger gets expressed in words. And really, if I would pause in that moment when the swirl's going on and go, wait a minute, what's happening here? I would go, you know what? I'm disappointed because I had this expectation and, and my expectation and her life did not coincide. And then because of the disappointment, that's why I'm angry. And that's why I'm out of control. And that's why I'm yelling. And that's why I'm doing all these terrible things, inflicting more pain. But if I would have just stopped and said, wait a minute, what's going on? I would have realized, ah, I'm really just disappointed. And if I would go to my wife and say, honey, I, mean, I was just disappointed. I thought we were going to do X, Y, and Z, and this happened, and I was just disappointed. How I many you know I was just disappointed is easier to handle than, how come you always, and I'm never going to, you know, that's where we start beating each other up. All I needed to do was get in touch with my disappointment, which was leading to shame, which was leading me to retreat to bad places. And I'm just telling you, I don't care how long you've been saved, there's still areas in our lives and scripts that are running in our heads that go all the way back to wounding and trauma in our lives that we've got to, that's why we renew our minds and that's why we need to be full of the Holy Ghost, amen? We need to get our, our insides healed. Now let me just tell you why, shame-filled people minister shame to other people. You know, I had one dear lady, I will not tell you what faith tradition she came of, but you can connect the dots. She said there were always people running around with rulers, whacking her on the hand, saying, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. How many of you know the church can be a place where instead of being life-giving, we give shame to people? And last time I checked, Jesus took our shame. He's not dishing it out. He took it which means we should never be involved in relationships where we're shaming other people. In fact, let me just say, sometimes pastors in the pulpit, we want people that are holy, right? But our idea of holiness 
It's shame on you. Oh, I can't believe it. You're such a frustration. You've screwed up again. What's the matter with you? You know, you're going to go to hell. You know, I don't know. I, how many of you know that, that, that some of those things might have a shred of truth, but that never sets anybody free. Nobody ever gets free from sin through shame. Think about it for a minute. You don't get set free from sin through sin. You get set free from sin through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and through appropriating it in our lives. And so how many of you know the church should be a place where people are being loved to life all the time and where the shame, we're getting peeled it off, peeling it off. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, just how we need to move together in our healing because you can't get healed from shame by yourself because shame comes through other people. So you need other people to actually free you from shame as well. We talked last week, it's just a good reminder, you know, guilt will deal with your behavior while shame is much more wicked. Shame deals with your identity. So if I've sinned this week, maybe I, I was harsh with my wife, and I realized the Holy Spirit says, hey, what are you talking to my daughter that way? Ugh, thank you. I go and I say, honey, will you please forgive me? She forgives me. Guess what? It's done. And we get to move on. But shame says, you're a lousy husband. You're a loser. When are you going to change? You're never going to change. Nothing's going to change. You're going to be this way the rest of your life. That's shame, 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 shame. And the problem with that is it deals with my identity, not with my behavior. And that's why it's hard to deal with. Shame says you're never good enough. Shame says you're never safe enough. Shame says you're never perfect enough. Shame says you're never successful enough. So we got people on this performance track. And can I just say this? The church is one of the biggest places where we perform so that we can please our Father. So we got all these new people here, right? A lot of you have come from other churches and you were elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers and maybe pastors and this ministry leader and you're very leading Bible studies and you come to Living Stones and my dad always taught us here, hey, if you're new, hang out for six months. We'll see if you like us and you can see if you like us back and we'll see if we like you and we'll live happily ever after, all right? In other words, don't put people in positions right away until they have a chance to exhale. And so even this morning, I'm going to have a seat because I'm the pastor, but I'm not pastoring right now. I'm with you. My identity is not found in what I do behind the pulpit because I'm just a son at the end of the day, just like some of you, or a daughter. So here's a cool thing. We don't find our identity in coming to church and performing for God. Some people, it's like, well, that church didn't use me, so I'm going to go to another church that will use the remaining amazing gifting that's in my life um, that's a problem because at the end of the day it's not you're not what you do you are who you are before god almighty you're, you're not a doing you're a being you're, you're who you are in the presence of god almighty and if you're not comfortable just being a son or a daughter at least for a season it might you might have some performance stuff going on where you're trying to justify your existence before god and show him how really awesome you are what a likable guy you are does this make sense so we come here on even ground at the foot of the cross just to love Jesus and to enjoy him and to be a son or to be a daughter. That's the foundation for everything you'll do in life. If you learn how to be a good son or a good daughter, God can do great things through you. But if you're religious and you're finding your identity and trying to prove to God that you're something special, you'll spend your whole life revolving around who you are, what role that you play. And, and that, that's not what's important in the body of Christ. It's learning to be a lover of Jesus and learning to receive the love of God, and then learning to release the love of God. Isn't that simple? Amen. It's about loving people to life 
And man, the world is full of people. So that, that need that. Let me, let me get into to, to a couple foundational points here as we get started. Shame's, first of all, shame's goal. What is shame's goal? What is shame after? I'm, I'm going to suggest that shame's trying to do two things to us. First of all, shame's always after the larger mission of God. If you are a person who's fallen into sin or guilt or shame, uh, what happens is the devil likes to drive you into isolation. And when you move into isolation, you get off mission. And if you get off mission, then God's purposes are not being accomplished. So how many of you know Satan's first goal is to thwart the purposes of God for your life individually and for our life corporately? Does that make sense? So if we're a shame-filled church, we're not going to be very effective in reaching our community or reaching the world. So his first goal is to disqualify you and to hijack your story through shame. Secondly, he wants to go after your identity. He's trying to attack who you are, the essence of who you are. Because if he can fill you with guilt and shame, again, it will, it will short-circuit the mission that God has for you. And here's shame's story. This is what shame is telling us every day. Point number one, you're not enough or you're not worthy. How many of you have ever heard that little voice in your heart? You're not enough, you're not worthy, you're not, you're, you're just don't have what it takes. The second message of shame is you're not valuable, or you're not precious, or you're not cherished, or you're not loved. Those are the two messages that he beats into our brains over and over and over again. So I want to learn from Jesus. How about you? Because Jesus was our example in everything. And you might be saying, Pastor, what does Jesus know about shame? Jesus never did anything shameful. That is true. Jesus is sinless. But how I many you know Jesus receives shame from other people? Remember the example we gave of Tamar. Tamar did not do anything wrong. She was, she was sexually abused by her half-brother. She didn't do anything wrong, but she took shame upon herself because of what happened to her. How I many you know Jesus, the Bible says, was despised? How many of you think if somebody looked at you and just said, I despise you, you might have some ripple effects that hit you regarding uh, shame? Jesus was despised. He was rejected of men. Uh, he, he, went through, he even went through rejection by his family. At one point, they thought he was demonized. How would you like to be the son of God and your own family thinks you have a demon? Uh, that might be a cause of shame. But Jesus never took that shame on in that way, at least not till he went on to the cross. And I want us to learn from him and learn from his example of how to go through life uh, battling this demon called shame. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start reading in uh, verse 13. This is the occasion of Christ's baptism. And it says in uh, verse 13, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. He said, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. And so John agreed to baptize him. But look at verse 16. This is an amazing passage. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. How many of you know there were three occasions in the Bible where God could not contain his passion for his son? 
And that passion was so profound and so powerful that he literally shouted out loud to where people could hear a voice literally from heaven. And in this situation, he's, God is affirming his love and affection for Jesus Christ. But I want you to see something. This is, again, we're trying to learn from this. Jesus is on mission. He, he's being baptized. He's, he's coming as our Savior. He's coming as our Redeemer. God the Father is writing this amazing story of redemption through the life of Jesus. So I mean, you know, this is the most important story ever written. It's the story of our redemption and our salvation. So Jesus is on mission. And here's why Jesus, uh, or why John is objecting. He says, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to baptize me? Um, that's because Jesus, or John re recognized Jesus is the Holy One. Jesus does not need to be baptized. In fact, John explained his baptism earlier in this, in this chapter, in verse 8. John said, I baptize you with, or I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. How many of you know Jesus wasn't repenting of his sins and Jesus had no need to return to God? That's why John was so confused. But Jesus says, no, no, you don't understand. I'm doing this to identify with your guilt and your shame and my guilt and my shame. Jesus says it has to be done uh, for, for righteousness' sake. So here we have the sinless Lamb of God who should not be doing the baptism, or I'm sorry, should be doing the baptism, not receiving the baptism. Uh, in John's gospel, as soon as John saw Jesus, he said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus Christ is coming on the scene on the occasion of his baptism as the Lamb of God to take away sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5 says this, And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. I just want to pause here because you see these, you see this data from evangelicals and what they believe. And people are being asked today, do you believe Jesus was sinless? These are Christian people. And this should be the biggest no-brainer on planet earth. How I many you know you can't save someone from sin if you're a sinner yourself? And so I just want to clearly say Jesus Christ was the sinless, perfect man. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He is absolutely without sin. And, he, and we don't know much about his early life, but we do know this about his early life. He never, ever, ever sinned as a young boy, as a teenager, or anything in between all the way to his baptism at, at the age of 30. Jesus is the sinless lamb. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So this is important. Jesus is being baptized by John. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon him. He's going to receive the endorsement from his father. And he's doing all of this because he's getting ready to take upon his own self our guilt and our shame and our sin. Now, I want you to see something else. First of all, Jesus is on mission. How many of you know we need to be on our father's mission? And I want to encourage you, this whole talk about shame, this is not like some personal self-help talk. If you're lost and you don't know God and you're living for yourself, my, my goal is not to try to set you free from shame. I can't. In fact, it's impossible. You'll always be reacting out of a sense of shame. Here's what I'm trying to do is get us to submit to Christ, let him write his story through our lives, amen, and let him remove the guilt and shame as we're on assignment with him. So check this out. Jesus knows his mission, but he also knows his identity. In other words, remember the two lies from the devil. The one is you're not enough. The second lie is you're not valuable. You have no value. Jesus is enough, and he knows it. And here's why he knows it. 
At this occasion of his baptism, the Bible says the sky was literally ripped wide open. Now, this is a powerful picture. An open heaven in the Bible is a sign of the favor of God. God is screaming over his son loud and clear, this is my son. How many of you know Jesus is the chosen one? And by God's open endorsement of him, he's saying this, you have what it takes. You have what it takes to be Savior, Redeemer, the Mediator, the Lord, the King. Uh, All the titles that you wear, Jesus, you have what it takes. It was an endorsement of his son, public endorsement of his son. Now, how many think it's a good thing when your father basically says, I believe in you and I trust you? Anybody have any teenagers in your house that got their driver's license? And dad reaches in the pocket one day and says, here's the keys. And you hand your 16-year-old those keys. And you got one hand behind your back doing this right here. Your fingers are crossed. You're praying in the Holy Ghost. But what you're basically saying is, I believe in you. You know, my youngest son, Jonathan, was pushing on me. Dad, 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 we need to do this in the front room. Let's take out this carpet. Let's put this flooring in. And we, I know how to do it. Me and my friends, we could do this. Dad, we could do this in an afternoon. There's no problem. And I'm sitting listening. He's working me, working me, working me. Let's go, let's go pick out the flooring right now. And, and I just wanted to relax because all that is a lot of work. And he says, Dad, we'll do it. And I, all of a sudden, I had this great dad thought. Any of you ever have great dad thoughts? I had this great dad thought. I said, you know what? Yeah, I trust you. Because he said, here's what he said to me. Dad, do you trust me? Do you think we can do it? And I said, yes, I trust you. So when your mom and I are in Honduras on our missions trip, you guys can rip the carpet out, move all the furniture out, rip the carpet out, put all that flooring in. I said, but if you get into trouble, you do have people you know you can call. They can help you. Oh, yeah, 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 we got it. We got it, we got it. So here's my point. We're all going through life looking for someone who actually believes in us and says you have what it takes. You know, Jerry, I'm sure your dad put some power tools in your hand a time or two, and, he's, and how do you learn to use a power tool? By using a power tool. But that power tool, if you don't use it right, can cut off a limb. But guess how you learn if you have what it takes? You have a dad who says, you can do it. I believe in you. Here's, here's the saw. Um, and then watches you and helps you and all that. But what was God saying to Jesus? He's saying out loud, this is my son. I believe in him. In fact, look at what the Bible says about who Jesus is. I love this. In uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 34, he is the chosen one of God. Oh, what a great name. The chosen one. And so God says, this is my chosen one. All of heaven rips open. The sky rips open. John chapter 3, verse 35. The father loves his son and has put everything into his son's hands. How's that for trust? Isaiah 53, verse 10. The Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Now, here's what I want to ask you. We need to be working towards being such good soil that God can say, I trust you with my plans to operate through you. In other words, how many of you believe if you're in Christ, you have an assignment and a calling on your life? Here's the question. God's saying, hey, Kevin, I believe in you. You're up for the task. Remember what did Jesus do before he ascended to the right hand of the Father? He gave us a commission, did he? He gave the disciples. He said, basically, I want you guys to go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Teach people to obey me. Baptize them. Uh, All authority is given. I'm going to be with you to the very end. Great commission, right? And then what does he do? He leaves. I can just see him stand there going, 
What? Go into where? You know, they hadn't even hardly left their community. And now God's telling them, you're going to go into all the world. And you're going to do what? And what's going to happen? And they, hey, wait. And Jesus says, see ya. And he's gone. What did he do? He handed them the keys. And guess what? I, you know, this, here's what gets me excited. Jesus believes that we have the power and that we're capable in the Holy Spirit and in Christ to get the job done. We were singing it this morning. He's going to finish what he started. This is good news. God's going to finish what he started. So he, he endorses his son. He says, you have what it takes. You're my chosen one, the one I have chosen for this assignment. And he gives him his ringing endorsement of his son's life and ministry. Now, there's one other important passage I want to go to this morning. It's the passage of the transfiguration of Christ. It's in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. Once again, even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And then he says this, listen to him. Now, how many of you know that is, an, that is a ringing endorsement that Jesus has what it takes? Listen to him. God's saying, listen to my boy. Listen to what he has to say, because what he has to say will, br- will bring life and joy and salvation. But I want you to see this. Jesus knows his identity. He knows he's enough. Now, I got to compliment you all because I've been encouraging you to take the journey towards healing and wholeness. We constantly insult you every week. We tell you that we know you're messed up. Do we not do that every week here? We tell you that you're messed up. We know it. Quit hiding. Quit faking. Quit being religious. We tell you that every week and you guys keep coming back because you know it's true. But then we have things like encounters. And we invite you, come out and deal with your heart and deal with the stuff. And guess what? You guys respond because both of our encounters packed already, all right? Great job. I've heard it said you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You guys are some seriously awesome horses this morning, all right? We're drinking the water. That was a compliment, by the way. That was a compliment. You drink the water, you get healed. That's the way it works. So thank you all for doing that. But I was praying with a man this morning, a young boy that came up this morning. He could hardly contain himself. He was so overwhelmed with the presence of the Lord as it relates to identity. Because is this not the case? Don't you want people in your life that are declaring over you that you have what it takes and that they believe in you? And I wonder this. What would happen at Living Stones if we would be a culture that constantly chose to believe the best about one another and believe Jesus in somebody else was sufficient to finish what he started instead of being a place where we were pointing out everybody's failures and stumbles and everything else. I, I found this to be true, and I, I, I'm all about holiness. I, I want to be holy, and I know you do too. But I found this to be the case. When someone's encouraging me, and someone says they believe in me, and somebody speaks vision over my life, I usually grow and become what they spoke over me. The opposite is also true. If someone tells you you're a loser, and someone tells you you're stupid, and someone tells you you don't have what it takes, and someone tells you you never amount to anything, then many times we spend the rest of our lives fulfilling that prophecy over our lives. I don't know about you, but I want to be a place where we're constantly loving one another, believing in one another. Uh, this is why in our life groups and our discipleship groups, we share our story. Why do we share our story? Because when you share your guts and you share your dreams, I mean, you know, there's nothing more fragile than a dream. 
When I take a risk and I share with Pastor Dick, this is something God's put in my heart. I'm risking that he will reject me, think it's stupid, not believe in it, whatever. It's a risk. I take that dream and I lay it out there. But when someone says, hey, man, I'm going to believe with you about that. In fact, how can I help that happen? How, how can I speak into that dream? How can I invest in that dream? Then literally we just rise to the occasion. And I've seen this in young men over and over again, looking for somebody. Maybe they never heard the father's words of endorsement, or this is my son. You know, I told this story for a service. I always crack up. Um, one of my boys who will remain unnamed, I won't expose, I, you know, all these pastor's kids, I use them in my sermons all the time. It's all good stuff, though, all right? I'm not embarrassing. No shame here. No shame at all. This is all good. But one of my sons who's actually on the front row right now, um, <laughs> when he... Uh, when he first started playing football, little peewee football, it's so cute. Their helmets are like bigger than their bodies and they get down on their stance and the helmet's so big they end up face planting and, you know, it's just really cute. And he was nervous because he was the kickoff returner. And, you know, that's scary when you're back there to kick the ball off to you and you hopefully catch it and then you have to run for your life while 11 guys try to kill you on the other side. And he was a little nervous. I said, hey, you're going to do great. Just get that ball and just run, 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 run. You got what it takes. I was basically saying you got what it takes. I never will forget this. They kick the ball off. My son catches it, and he starts zigzagging through all, you know, all those little legs going, all these little guys running around <laughs> trying to, you know, they got their uniform tucked in, and you can't see the whole number because it's, it's up there, you know. Uh, number 88 looks like an M, you know, on their chest. And, uh, and sure enough, he zigzags all the way through and scores a touchdown. And, you know, I tried not to be that parent, you know. Yeah, that's my boy right there. So I tried to hold it all in. I did a pretty good job. Then the next time they got the ball, ditto. The next time they got the ball, touchdown number three. Next time, number four. He scored five touchdowns on his maiden voyage opening football game. And finally, you know, again, I'm, I'm trying not to be, again, that parent. And finally, this lady stands up and she says, whose kid is that anyway? <laughs> and I said, that's my, that's my son. That is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Um, but here's the deal. But I'm not well pleased because he can run and score touchdowns. I'm well pleased because he's my son who happens to be scoring touchdowns at this moment. Y'all understand the difference. If he would have dropped the ball and had been sacked, I wouldn't have been any less my son and I wouldn't have had any less pleasure over his life because I love him because he's mine. And I want you to hear this. When, when God says, this is my son, I want you to hear the emphasis on my God is saying, I, I am proud to call him mine. Now, can I just remind you something this morning? Because of what Christ has done for us, do you know that there's the affection of God over your life saying, you are mine? And he claims you as his own in Christ, and the same affection for the Son is the same affection he has for you, the unbridled affection of his heart. We are truly joint heirs with Christ. We are chosen and called. How many of you know those passages in the Bible? How about this? You're adopted. I can't think of a more powerful metaphor than adoption. It's somebody saying, I am bringing you into my own household and claiming you as my own. You're becoming flesh and blood. And that's what God does to each of us. He adopts us into his family, and he has this fatherly pride where he calls us his own kids. And so I want you to see that as Jesus is getting ready for his public ministry, God is reminding him, he's saying, you're more than enough. You're complete. You're going to accomplish your mission. Can I, can I give another little parenting tidbit here? 
this is right at the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. All hell's getting ready to break loose. He's getting ready to go into the wilderness. He's going to be assaulted. So what does God do to set up his son for that assignment? He publicly praises him. He publicly shares his love. He publicly says, you, this, is the, this is the one. He is the chosen one. He is going to finish what has been started. And God's saying, I believe in my son. Right before you know, the Mount of Transfiguration, right before Jesus is going to the cross, the glory of the Lord shows up again. And what does God say to Jesus before he gets ready to head to the cross? I love you. I believe in you. I'm proud of you. You bring me joy. You're my heart's delight. Why is God choosing these two occasions? Because he knows Jesus is getting ready to have his story uh, hijacked by the devil, or at least attempted to be hijacked by the devil. He knows the devil's going to give him everything that he has. We're going to talk about that next week. And so what does he do? He, he sets his son up for success. He sets his son up for success. I want to encourage us as parents, you know, when our kids are facing challenges or new things or they step out of their comfort zone, it's the first job or they're trying to do this or go off to school or whatever it is. I mean, you know, those are really good times to get them together and to look right in their face and to let them know, I love you, I believe in you. And how about this? You have what it takes. You have what it takes. That's the, that's the nagging cry of every human heart to know, do I really have it, what it takes? And does anybody really believe I can, I can do this? How about this little phrase? My mom and dad used to always say this. Just a simple phrase. You got this. You got this. Whew, okay, I got this. Sometimes it just takes the words of somebody else who believes in us. Now let's take a look at the second one here. Right as Jesus is getting ready for this public ministry, God gives him his affirmation. But here's the question that I ask. How, do, how and why? How do we know Jesus is going to finish his assignment? How do we know that he's not going to be swamped by guilt and shame from other people pouring onto him from the attack of the enemy? How do we know he's going to survive? Look at what it says in, back in our passage. It says, the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove and it settled on him. It's settled on him. We're going to probably get into a series not too, too far from now, talking about how, how we host the Holy Spirit. You know, the difference with Jesus is the Holy Spirit came on him and stayed. Have any of you ever felt the Holy Spirit come upon you? You sensed his presence. You know, Savan, you were weeping. You were so touched by God. You knew that that was the Holy Spirit. But then the problem with us is we do things and make the Holy Spirit take off. He's like a dove. Imagine a dove came and landed on your head, and you're like wanting to go through your day. Keep the dove. Keep the dove. <laughs> Don't let the dove move. You're, you're, you're going to be very, very cautious in how you move about your day because you don't want to disturb the dove. How I many of you know, as we go through our day, we need to learn how to be carriers of the Holy Spirit and not disturb His presence in our lives because the Holy Spirit's the key to power. I want you to see this. It's the power to live out the gospel without living under shame and guilt. Look at what it says in Matthew 12, 18. Look at my servant, God speaking here, whom I have chosen. There's that powerful word, chosen, chosen, chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. It says, I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. In Acts chapter 10, it says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Can I just say this? Our church is not a church that's in pursuit 
of power or in pursuit of signs or wonders. We don't have to pursue that. What we are in pursuit of is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit anoints you, the power follows. What kind of power? Power to live righteously. Power to live a holy life. Power to pray for people and to see God touch their lives. Power for healing. Power for deliverance. Power to do the stuff that Jesus did. Can I just share this? You know, there are some people say, if you ask them this question, you know, Pastor, how come Jesus performed all those miracles in the New Testament? They would answer, well, because he was God. But if Jesus did all of that because he's God, then what benefit do I give from it other than believing that he's God? In other words, how does he help me live my life if he did what he did because he was God? Well, I'm not God. So why would I expect to be able to see anybody touched or healed or delivered or set free? Because I'm not God. But how you know Jesus put aside his heavenly attributes, Philippians chapter 2. Jesus Christ lived to show us what a human being full of the Holy Spirit would look like. Now you all need to hear this. He showed us what a, a human being full of the Holy Spirit's presence, how that person would operate so that he would invite us into the pursuit and not put us on the sidelines disqualified before we even took a step. See, there are a lot of people who don't mind reading the Bible and telling stories about Jesus or reading what Jesus did and saying, wow, that's so cool. But how many know the book of Acts says that it wasn't just Jesus who did the cool stuff, it was the followers of Christ who did the cool stuff. So listen, the Holy Spirit is given to invite us And Jesus models this to invite us. And here's the question that we should be asking. What would my life look like if I was fully yielded to the Holy Spirit? What would God do through a church full of the Holy Spirit and power? Well, the Bible says this about Jesus. He went around doing good stuff, healing all that were sick and oppressed because the Spirit of God was with him. That's the vision I want you to see. Can I just say this again? There's more. There's more. There's more than what we are experiencing. There's more to be tasted. There's more power to be moved in. There's more of the Holy Spirit's presence. There's more love of God. There's there's more affection of the Father. There's more, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. Don't quit. Don't stop pursuing. Don't stop running. Don't lose your hunger. Stay thirsty, my friends. That was a beer commercial. I'm not encouraging you all, but, it, but it's good theology. Stay thirsty, my friends, for the Holy Ghost. Be not drunk with wine, but be full of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So Jesus is chosen, and he's enough, but I want you to see this. I'll close with this. Jesus is also valuable. He's God's beloved son. Listen to what Jonathan Edwards says about, about God's affection for Jesus. The infinite happiness of the Father consists in the enjoyment of his son. Mm, this is so good. How many of you know God is infinitely happy as I speak? God does not have bad days. God never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. God's not gloomy and depressed. God's not wringing his hands at what's going on in the world. Isn't that good news? You ready for this? God is infinitely happy. Because he's God, and he's awesome. And when God looks 
upon his son, it is a source of unbridled affection and joy in his heart forever. Can I just share a bombshell with you guys? When he looks on you, what does he see? What does he feel? If you're in Christ, he feels unbridled joy and pleasure and affection over your life. This is so good. Most of us come to church with our tail between our legs like that beat dog. If you've ever seen a dog that's been abused, you just try to pet the dog and it crouches down, tail between its legs, it's shining down like this. Now, there's nothing extra special about this posture right here in worship, but let me just tell you physically what the Lord's trying to do. Most of us are like this with shame, and the Lord's trying to lift our head, and he just wants us to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to express our thanksgiving to God. We sing about his goodness. We sing about when Jesus walks into the room, everything changes, and we praise him. Lord, we want you to come into this room, and Lord, come into this heart right here. And that's what worship is. Worship's not some ritual. Worship is releasing the affection in my heart that's been awakened by God's affection for me. And church isn't about coming and going, man, I screwed up again. I'm a loser. When am I ever going to get this right? If you keep letting the devil beat you up like that, you're, you, you won't get it right. But if you come and you just say, God, I want more of you. See, this is the thing. In church, we're not trying to say no. No, 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 no. You can't do this. No, you can't do that. No, that's a sin. No, don't do that. No, don't watch that. No, 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 no. That's not a, a recipe for holiness. Let me tell you what a recipe for holiness is. Yes. Yes, there's more to be experienced. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God, you bring God joy. Yes, there's power to be had in the Holy Spirit. Yes, there's an exciting life. Yes, God's going to finish what he started. All the promises in the Bible are yes in Christ. Yes, 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 yes. It's not no, it's yes. We're trying to catch a generation with the wrong bait. If we're going to keep telling them, don't do all these things. These are terrible things. Who wants to come to a place where all you're told is, no, you're a loser. No, you're going to go to hell. No, 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 no. It's so much better to say, there's a God in heaven who's crazy about you and who sent his son to die for you and who loves you with unbridled affection, who believes in you and who believes in the calling on your life. And to taste him is to taste the greatest thing you've ever tasted in your life. To be loved to life forever and ever and ever. That's what the good news is. It's not about what we're not supposed to be doing. It's an invitation into infinite joy and freedom and love and power and goodness and kindness and life to the fullest. When you hear the Lord speak over you, this is why Savan, I don't usually have, every, you know, everybody come up, give different words and all kinds of stuff, but, but here's what I felt like the Lord said. Here is a son who's spending time in his father's presence, and the father, you know why the Holy Spirit speaks to us? Because God loves you like crazy, and how does he have a relationship with you if he never talks to you? So God speaks to your heart, and you're undone by that, and you say, Lord, if that was really you, you know, say that again, because I can hear that again. And, and, and so here he is worshiping the Lord, and boom, God speaks to him again personally. Let me ask you this question. This is why the, the, the doctrine that God does not speak to us personally is from the pit of hell. What kind of father stops talking to you after he sends you the love letter? 
We wonder why people's hearts are not full of affection. When the creator of the universe talks to you, it wrecks you. When God tells you of his great love for you, and it bypasses up here because the Bible says it's beyond comprehension, and you get exploded in here with the affection of God, which is the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal the Father's affection for you, and all of a sudden you ask for more of the Holy Spirit, and you start getting baptized in the love of the Father, that changes you forever. Or you can be a religious person who just sits in church the rest of your life and tells stories about what Jesus used to do. But Jesus is still doing stories. And your life is a story and my life is a story. I remember driving down a highway on a country road. I was probably in my 20s. I had the radio up to the max. I was singing and worshiping at the top of my lungs. And in the midst of all that noise, which I'm sure it was a holy noise, all right, I heard the Lord speak to me as clearly as could be and just expressed the joy that was in his heart over his son driving down some country road singing at the top of my lungs all by myself in the car. But I wasn't all by myself because my father was watching me and he just broke through the environment to let me know of his affection for me. I got hit with such a bomb in my heart. I had to pull off the road. I was crying so hard. People, I'm sure, would think, that guy is nuts. No, I'm not nuts. I'm becoming mentally healthy more and more every passing year. You all hear what I'm talking about? I remember the story of Charles Finney. He said he got baptized with, a, with liquid love, like coming over like a waterfall. And the effect of it was so profoundly moving, he had to ask the Lord to stop because he was so overwhelmed with the glory of God. And when you experience the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the love of God, the affection of God, and you come alive, you don't have to have someone tell you, you need to go to church or you're going to hell. No one's having to drag you anywhere. You're running after Jesus because you want more of him. And you want to be more passionate and more real and more holy and more in love and more full of the fire of God because you get to, not because you have to. Everybody understand the difference? This is a romance. Feel the affection of God when he, when he rips the heavens open and says, that's my son. I love you and you bring me joy. Why did God have to do that? The answer is he didn't have to do anything. Love does what it does because it wants to and because it's passionate. I'm not saying God was out of control, but I am saying this. That was the outburst of a heart. When he looked at his son, he felt such pride and joy and, and, and a sense of satisfaction that Jesus was willing to love us so much and love him so much that he's going to go through the mission. And God just can't contain it. You know, if any of you have ever been in worship, and I encourage you not just here, but in worship at home, and you put on some, some worship music, and you get alone, and you just, you just start opening up your heart to the Lord. There are times when God will come and just mess you up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you, you lose track of time. And you're on your face, and you're maybe just all snotting up everywhere but you know what you don't care bethany you know what i'm talking about you're you're a holy spirit drunk i know you you're a holy spirit drunk 
And so when we talk about when we talk about, Lord, we're hungry for more of your presence, we're not denying the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in us. What we're hungry for is that when we all come together, that the weight of his presence is stronger and stronger. Because when God's in a place, stuff happens. Crazy, awesome stuff happens. And so here's, here's the invitation. He's saying, do you really want me? Do you really want me to come to your church? Do you really want me to hang out with you guys? Because I think it gets messy when God does that. I mean, this is on video. Half the weeks I got snot dripping from my nose. Are you kidding me? But the snot dripping from my nose is real. I'm not trying to be gross. <laughs> it comes naturally. I'm not trying, I don't I'm not trying to. The Lord says this in Song of Solomon, O my love, you are altogether beautiful and fair. There is no flaw or blemish in you. And that's what God, when he looks at us through Christ and through Christ's righteousness, that's what he says, you're beautiful. There's no flaw. I see you as righteous because of my son. And there's nothing but joy and affection for you. This is why we use a phrase here at Living Stones about being loved to life. And people have said, you know, is this all this stuff real? Do people really love each other like this? Well, we're sure trying to. But I'll tell you what, I'm over here trying to worship this like a little love fest mosh pit. I'm getting tackled from behind. I'm getting hugged. And somebody says, well, that's, that's irreverent. No, that's heavenly. That's like heaven right there. Greeting one another, truly loving one another, having affection for one another, and being part of a company who believes in each other. You know, I just want to pray over us this morning. And we're going to go into this deeper. The encounters are powerful on this, the Renovating You class, and different ministries that we have deal with these issues on a deeper level. But can we just open our heart to the Lord? Stand to your feet with me this morning. And I want to pray just for a supernatural release of God's heart over us. If you want more, just open your spirit up to the Lord. Open your hands and your heart up to the Lord. Just tell him you want more compassion. You want to experience his affection over you. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I just continue to attack this demonic stronghold called shame. Lord, the words that were spoken over little children that still stick, the words that were spoken, husbands over wives and wives over husbands and moms over kids and dads over kids. Lord, all the ways we've wounded one another with our words. God, we release forgiveness where there's been damage, but Lord, we're asking you for an overflow of your healing love and affection for us. God, that we would hear your voice screaming from heaven, I love you, you're mine. You bring me joy and you bring me pleasure. Lord, let your affection hit every heart in this place. Holy Spirit, only you can awaken us. Only you can heal our hearts. And so we're asking you for a, a fresh baptism of your love and a fresh baptism of your fire even right now. John said you would come, Jesus, and you would baptize us in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So, Lord, we ask you now, let the fire of heaven burn in our hearts. Awaken our hearts, Lord, to deeper passion for you. I speak over each person here today. You're enough. You're enough in Christ. 
You're chosen of the Lord. You're called by God. God believes in you. He believes in Christ in you. He believes in the assignment on you. He believes in who he created you to be. Those dreams and visions that pop pop up in your heart, those are from the Holy Spirit. Believe what God wants to do. Believe in his endorsement over you. Believe in his choice of you. And secondly, I pray that you would move in the joy of God, that you would feel the affection of the Lord, that you would know how valuable you are to the Lord. You are precious to God. God loves you. God cheers you on. With the cloud of witnesses, he's cheering you on. He wants you to finish well, and he's committed to seeing you finish well. So, Lord, I pray for those right now dealing with troubling situations and maybe people who have just been beat up. They've come here today beat up. I just ask you, Lord, rejuvenate their hearts. Heal their hearts, Lord. Rip the shame off of their lives. Let your voice be the loudest voice. God said over his son Jesus, listen to him. Listen to him. And I hear the Holy Spirit saying over our church this morning, listen to Jesus and his testimony over your life. Stop listening to the enemy. Stop listening to your, your, your people who speak into you that are negative all the time and who don't believe in you. Don't listen to those voices. Listen to the Son of God and believe in what Jesus has to say. Believe in what Jesus says. Believe in what Jesus says. Now, Father, baptize us in your affection this morning. Can you imagine what it's like for the smile of God to be over your life right now? It's not just words. It's the truth. There's an open heaven of favor over the church. Imagine walking where the clouds have split over your head. There might be dark clouds to the left and dark clouds to the right, but guess what? The sun is shining on you. That's the favor of God. It's the favor of God. It's the endorsement of God. It's the power of God. It's the blessing of God. That's what's over the church. So let's move this week. Let's move in the favor. Let's move in the endorsement. Let's move in the love. Let's be on mission with the Father even this week. Thank you, Father, for the example of Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, for the way you brought us into your family and called us your own. Now, Lord, help us to be radical lovers this week. I just pray for fruitfulness to explode everywhere, Lord. We want to see people saved, see people healed, people brought into your church family, Lord. God, use us as we leave this place. We'll give you all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Listen, if if you're here today and you don't know Christ, we want to pray for you. If you need prayer and you feel the Holy Spirit just wrecking you right now, come on down. Let's let somebody agree and pray into what God's doing in your life right now. All right, we love you guys. Have an amazing day.